0: As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Lots of exciting things happening. Are you ready to get into God's word? Alright, in case you're new, I should have introduced myself a long time ago. My name's Pastor Justin, I'm the lead pastor here at New Heights Church, and I love this church. I absolutely do believe God is doing some incredible things here, and we love the Bible so much here that we preach it verse by verse. We preach it line by line, precept upon precept, because we believe that you need to hear from God and not me, okay? So that's what we do here, at church, and we center our entire Sunday morning around God's word so would you please close your eyes and uh, join me in prayer father in heaven thank you that we can gather uh, again on this Sunday and give attention to your word God the book we're looking at is thousands of years old and yet it speaks with power from heaven because I believe it to be your word It lives, it moves, it works among us right here, right now in 2024, and so would you make that happen today? And we ask this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, amen, amen. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Acts chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 42 through 52. It's taken us three Sundays to work our way through the chapter, because it's a big chapter, 52 verses. In all, and we're we're going to conclude it today. We are rounding third and headed home. Come on! <laughs> so the first section of this chapter, it was a group of missionaries: Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They're sent out uh, from the church in Antioch. Second section: uh, this group of missionaries make their way. Uh, to uh, Cyprus, Pisidian, and and Paul preaches this incredible, incredible sermon there, and we discussed that last week, and we kind of unpacked his sermon. This week now we're entering into the response to that sermon, Uh, but Paul presented to them who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for them. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news, why does it cause so much opposition, right? Why is it so often... The cause of conflict, and not just conflict, but sometimes even anger. Why is it that good new, the good news of the gospel seems to divide more than it unites? Because it does. It does. But why does it divide? Could it be that when it's preached in its entirety, when somebody's true to the gospel, the gospel tells people the truth about themselves? Could it be that when it's preached in its entirety, the gospel exposes sin? The self-righteousness and the lost condition of all who would hear it. And then it demands that they respond to that. Like we said last week, the gospel is literally designed to where it leaves you with only two options. If it leaves you with more than two options, it's not the gospel. Okay, the gospel, you could either, uh, two options. You could either receive Jesus or you can reject him. That's it. Anything else ain't the gospel. In fact, in Romans sixteen, the apostle Paul introduces the gospel, and he says this: "It is the power of God for salvation." Now, the Greek word translated "power" here is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Okay, the gospel. Listen, it's it's not about how you can make a bad day better, or it's not about how you can be real happy in your life and prosperous and uh, in 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 it's going to just be everything in your life is going to be peachy when it comes to your personal life, uh, your social life, your financial life. All, it's not like all your medical problems are going to be solved. No, the gospel is about the difference between the joys of eternal life in heaven and the horrors of eternal death in hell. That's the gospel. And it isn't just the gospel of Jesus that separates and divides. The entire word of God separates and divides. In fact, look at, with me at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Think about this for a moment. What is it that separates you from the person you were before you came to Jesus? It's the gospel. And what is it that separates you from, from that... Well, this lost and dying world, it's the Word of God. If you think that's, you say, Pastor Justin, you're oversimplifying it, or you're, you're exaggerating it. Well, then just, okay, ask yourself this. Where, where would you be without the gospel and the Word of God? Where would I be without the gospel and the Word of God? I would still be lost in my sin, and I would still be united to that broken world you would still be lost in your sin and united to this broken, falling, dying world. But if you really are a follower of Jesus, you've been separated from this world. This is why the gospel divides. It divides and it separates out all those who, who, whom God has called to be his children. Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 36, and this is Jesus speaking, This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a a sword. Now, remember what we just read in Hebrews, right? A sword, right? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And by the way, Jesus in John 1-1 tells us that, uh, or or, or the word tells us in John 1-1 that Jesus is the word of God. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So the gospel of Jesus Christ and the entire word of God is very powerful. It's why the gospel can cause really an explosion of negative emotions uh, when it's preached, when the gospel is preached against both the preacher and the sermon. And an explosion, by the way, separates things. Explosions don't unite. Explosions divide. Now, with that being said, (laughs) with that as the introduction, we're going to look at verse 42. We're going to get into what we didn't have time for last week, and that's the response to Paul's message. But I want you for a minute just to imagine that Paul has just got done with this amazing sermon, and there are open hearts, both Jewish and also visiting Gentiles, who had a respect for the Jewish religion. That's that's the context we're in. Now look with me at verse 42 through 43. And here's what you, if you're writing notes, write this down. The word brings interest. The word brings interest. Look with me at verse 42. It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. I gotta be honest, I have never had that happen after a sermon. (laughs) Never had anyone come up and say, can you just do that for another two hours? (laughs) It's pretty cool. A goal worth striving for, right? Verse 43, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So here's what you got to realize. The audience that he's speaking to, they knew Scripture because you've got the Jews, and and the Jews would have been the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, maybe some uh, uh, biblical lawyers. I mean, it I, it would have been the ministry staff of the synagogue there, okay? And then you've got devout converts to Judaism. So these were Gentile converts uh, to Judaism. And then most commentaries will say this, that there was probably even a third uh, audience, and that was Gentiles who were interested in Judaism. So these, this is who Paul's preaching to. And synagogue now, uh, service is over, church service is over, and the Gentiles want to hear more. Now remember, these Gentiles had never heard the gospel of grace before. They were God-fearers. They were listening in the synagogue every week to Jewish sermons about the Torah. They would hear sermons about the law, about the Psalms. They would probably be hearing a lot of uh, do this and don't do that. Uh, Be a good person, don't be a bad person, right? And, And they're learning all about the law. Now Paul comes in and he totally challenges them all of a sudden he turns their world upside down. He starts teaching that all you need to do is trust in Jesus, right? You need to believe by faith, and you will be justified, and you'll be cleansed. Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Are you telling me, Paul, that all we have to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus? We don't have to go through all those rituals anymore. If we do that, we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven. And so after the service, you kind of get why so many of them went up to Paul and said, we kind of want to know more about this. I mean, this is intriguing here. And, and because they believed. They believed what Paul said. And, and some of you are saying, well, why would you say that, Pastor Justin? Why would you assume that they believed? Because it says that Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, if you have a pen, I want you to underline that in your Bible. This is huge. I don't want you to miss this. He urged them to continue in the grace of God. So listen, continuing in grace is just as important as beginning in grace. I'm going to say it again. Continuing in grace is just as important as beginning in grace. Look, you can never leave grace. You can never get away from grace. Grace is the foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? All throughout the Bible we see grace. But so many believers today will look at grace and we look at it almost as if it's just the introduction into the Christian life. Like, it's just the introduction, and then uh, we understand it means forgiveness of sins, and then that's kind of the basic understanding of grace. But grace is all throughout the Bible. It's, it's deep. There's so much to grace. In fact, if you open your Bible and you get a concordance, you look up the, all the occurrences of the word of grace in the Bible, there are 131 uses of grace in the ESV, which is what I preach from every Sunday. 124 of those in the New Testament, 86 which are from Paul. That means two-thirds of all the uses of the word grace in the Bible are from one author. That's Paul. So you guys kind of understand why he got the nickname the Apostle of Grace. (laughs) Paul preached grace a lot. Now, no no wonder he's called the Apostle of Grace. So you need to continue in grace. You need to underline that, not to continue in the law of God, but to continue in the grace of God. That's what Paul's preaching here. Grace, like I said, is a word packed with so much meaning. In fact, it's oozing with significance. As, as believers, I would think we would love the concept of grace. We, we should, right? It's God's unmerited favor and kindness towards us. And hopefully we understand that grace is, by definition, undeserved. There is nothing that you and I do to deserve God's grace. Nothing. So even in the church, I, I think a lot of people don't fully understand grace. We still talk about it a lot. We sing songs about grace, and most of the times, because, like I said, we at least understand that it's by grace that we experience forgiveness. That's a good starting point, okay? Grace, and that's true. I mean, that, we love passages like Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9. We're saved by grace, not by works. Okay, you know what that means, if you're taking notes, write this down. My works cannot make me acceptable to God. So God accepts me based on his work. You with me? Okay, and that's a truth that I constantly have to remind myself of. But there's this, there's this uh, trend, I think, today in, in Christian circles, and they want to take grace and they just want to keep it in the circle of forgiveness or in the domain of forgiveness, In other words, we hear grace talked about a lot in regards to God forgiving sin. And like I said, we should, because without God's grace, we can't experience forgiveness. But here's the problem. When we limit grace to only be about forgiveness, then our goal becomes about being forgiven instead of being changed. You following me? So we need to understand grace a little more besides it's just the introduction to Christianity. Yes, it's the introduction, but there's so much more. Okay? Grace isn't less than forgiveness. It's, it's so much more. Rather than grace, all of a sudden when we, when we view it just as forgiveness, all of a sudden we'll use grace kind of as like a security blanket. We'll turn all of our struggles into this passive security blanket. Grace is supposed to, but, but Grace is supposed to be radically active. It's not supposed to be a security blanket that we just put over ourselves for all of our struggles that we, we struggle with. It's supposed to be so much more. Keep, keep with me. Grace is supposed to empower us for action. So if you're writing this down, or if you're taking notes, write this down. Grace is supposed to empower us for action. In fact, look at what Peter had to say about it. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the Grace. This, this grace is both preparing for action and it's forward-looking, right? Because hope looks forward. Man, some of you guys have come in here and you are heavy burdened. You've had a bad week. I'll be honest with you, I've had a really tough week. But, but this, is what, this is why grace enables us to move forward because hope looks forward. So in other words, grace not only deals with our past but with our present and our future. So our hope being set on grace what what should happen is it should stir within us this this confidence that God is going to work through our lives actively. That means no matter what we're facing, God's grace is working in our lives. We've got the end of the story. We know how this ends, amen? Okay? So in other words, the grace that saves us, it really does save us. I mean, it saves us from the cultural status quo. Christians are meant to live with purpose. That's awesome. When I see people experience God's grace for the first time in a service, it's amazing. But guess what? Grace is supposed to activate your life. You've got purpose now. Grace doesn't end right here. It's, the big, it's not just the introduction to Christianity. You've got to continue in grace. I hope you're getting as excited as I am. <laughs> so you can see why continuing in, in, in grace is just as important as starting in grace. And when we view grace like this, it means we can act in faith towards God. When? Today, right now. We've already been given all that we need for life and godliness. That's what Peter says. It means we don't need to wait for grace. We have it now. Grace in our life should mean we're moving. Sometimes we just sit around, we take on the attitude, man, if it takes effort on my part, it's not grace. Baloney. It is not biblical, but it's such a popular thing to say in church circles. Listen, we wait around for the Holy Spirit to physically remove us from our lazy boy chair while we sit and binge Netflix. And if I had a nickel for every time I heard, I don't want to get ahead of God, or the famous phrase, I've heard this a lot too, if, if it's by uh, perspiration, then it's not ins- by inspiration. Oh, my word. Where do people come up with this stuff? I mean, it's sticky. It catches. I get it. And and don't get me wrong. All of these sayings have good intentions, and there's some truth to them in the right context. I would never argue that we should we should never trust in our or that we need to trust in our efforts or our abilities. We absolutely need to trust God to energize our efforts and abilities. But but what I'm saying is, I don't need to wait for grace to to forgive somebody. I've already experienced grace. I can forgive. I don't need to wait around for grace to to give God what's already his. I don't need to wait for grace to start tithing. I don't need to wait for grace to start loving my wife and children. I I have grace right now. You understand me? So if if we're relying on the grace of God, we trust that our efforts are going to be effective because of grace. Man, grace is huge. So again, continuing in grace is just as important as starting in grace. And then we come to verse 45 and the word brings opposition. I don't love this part, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Look at this. The next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. This is my prayer that people come to New Heights not because they want to hear God's word. They want to know more about God's word. That's my prayer. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Okay, so listen. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Whenever God does a work, the devil does work. I love Pastor Skip Heidsick out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he always says this. Whenever God does a work, the devil does a work. Find God's work, you're going to find the devil's work. Every action brings an equal and opposite reaction. Most of you learned that in school. I didn't pay attention. I learned it later. Okay? When God's at work, you're going to find the devil trying to counteract that work. And here he does it through through this religious system. This is why I hate this passage. The devil does it through a religious system. Okay? Okay? And, and we see this. Unfortunately, we see this all throughout the Bible. It's a part of the Bible I hate, I despise, especially as a, as a Christian leader and a pastor of the church. This really discourages me. But it's all throughout the Bible. You, you think of Nehemiah building the wall in the Old Testament. One of my favorite Old Testament characters. He's, he's building the wall. This is what God wanted him to do. God called him to do this. In fact, he's empowered by the Spirit to do this. And he comes. He, he, he leaves Persia. And he goes to Jerusalem, hundreds of miles uh, distance, and he, God gives him the power, and he gives him the strength to get the right people to do it and to do it together. And there's this fella, though, or fellas, named by the name of Sanballat, I think, and Tobiah. And let me just stop for a minute and tell you something. I, I could be saying their names wrong, I don't know. But you always, when you say yes to God, you will always run into Sanballats and Tobiahs. Always. They have always existed. People that want to come into the church and stop the work of God. You're always going to run into them. You can't escape them. Unfortunately, you can't build a church that keeps them out. They're going to get in. They're going to find a way to get in. And they're going to cause all kinds of problems and chaos. These guys would ridicule the Jews, try to stop the work. They would send letters to Persia. They were doing everything they could to halt the work of God in Jerusalem. And I know some of you don't want to hear this, but whenever you find the work of God, have said it already, don't be surprised when you find the work of the devil. But here's the problem. So many believers do not understand this, this simple truth, and they quit too early. Nothing's going the way we wanted it. God can't be in this. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And they start thinking, man, God just must not be in this. And I would say God's probably right in the middle of it, and that's why the enemy is working overtime to try to stop it. And so New Heights Church, I want to speak prophetically to you for a minute. I'm no prophet, but I know God's word, and this is God's promises. Listen, New Heights, as we prepare to step out into mission, and that's what we're going to do, we're going to live on mission, and we say we're going to be intentional about God's plan for this church, we better be prepared to pay the price of sacrifice. We better be ready. And the more effective this church is at executing God's plan, the more a target we're going to be. And it's also interesting here to note in our, how they carried out their opposition in our text. I'm going to jump back to our text now. I want, I want you to see how they carried out their opposition. This passage has some major significance for the church today. Two words I want to focus on here in this, this service, okay? Jealousy and revile. Some of your translations say filled with envy. So the spirit of envy or jealousy, I need you to know this, is cancer to your life and it's cancer to the body. It's cancer. Do you know why fishermen can put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and not worry about them climbing out? Do you ever? I, I worked in Alaska, so I literally saw this. You could take a bucket, you can put a bunch of crabs in that bucket and you don't have to worry about one of them climbing out. Do you know Why? It's not because the crabs can't climb. They're great climbers. It's because the moment one starts to climb out, the others pull them back in. You don't believe me, go and try it. I'm telling you. I didn't believe it when he told me. I said, those crabs are going to find a way to get out. You're going to lose your whole catch. Nope. I sat there and I watched crab after crab pull the other one down. Nobody's going to get out of that bucket. This is what envy does to us. It starts with discontentment with what we have, and it turns quickly into resentment towards others who have the thing that we want. Not only do we wish we had what they have, but we also hate them for having it. And we become like clawing crabs. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. But envy does the opposite. Envy seethes over those who are rejoicing and it exults over those who are weeping. And I got news for you. Envy surrounds us. And most of us don't realize the deadly poison that it is. We think of envy as as this petty jealousy that comes from wanting a little bit more. But the Bible treats it much more serious. Treats it as a killer in your life. The Bible gives serious warnings about it. In fact, Numbers 11.6 describes the people of God succumbing to, to envy. And literally in the Hebrew verse it says, "Look at this." But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Well, I I gave you the wrong verse, Corey. That's my fault. It says, <laughs> "I love Corey. He is so patient with me. Corey, you're the man. You're the man." But but it. it Numbers, somewhere in Numbers, it describes the people of God succumbing to envy. And literally, in the Hebrew, the verse is, our souls are dried up. And the word soul in Hebrew means life force. Comparison and envy dried up the Israelites' soul force on their trek through the wilderness. Now, like Proverbs, we did get this one right. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So today in our text, instead of dealing with jealousy the right way, because the Bible is clear. It says they were jealous of the crowds. So my assumption is the Jews were not expecting so much interest in what Paul and Barnabas had to say. And and they started dealing with jealousy. So instead of dealing with it the right way, they allow jealousy to lead them to do what? to Reviling them. And I see in so many churches today with people who revile. What's revile? It means to abuse, attack with evil words. They were jealous of Saul and Barnabas because they were drawing crowds, Crowds and jealousy is like poison to your brain. It makes you stupid, and I'm a big John Wayne fan, and I love my favorite quote. John Wayne was the man. (laughs) He was. We need some more John Waynes out there today. He said, life is really hard. It's a lot harder if you're stupid. Man, that'll preach, John. Come on, right? Right? Life is really hard. It's a lot harder if you're stupid. Jealousy makes you stupid. Envy makes you stupid. So now their jealousy turns to hate, and now they don't care if Paul—they don't care what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter if Paul's speaking the truth. They're just going to speak against whatever it is he's saying. And that's what's happening here. Remember, I want you to to, to realize this. Paul is preaching to a religious crowd. They know scriptures. He's not doing street evangelism here. He's not passing out tracts at the mall. He is speaking to the religious crowd. And you know what this tells me? Religious people want religion on their terms. They're not really interested in God or anybody else and telling them what's right and what's what's true. They don't want morality dictated to them uh, by anything. They want to find truth within them. And that's toxic. You need to know that. We see it so much in religious circles today. So please, hear me out. You need to understand that as you step out in mission, you're going to experience this. You're going to have people who oppose you. You're going to have people who oppose what you're saying and what you're doing. They're going to try to make you look bad. They're going to try to get other people to view you as bad. They're going to do whatever it takes to discredit you and what you are doing. And rarely, rarely will they really grapple, at least honestly, with the issues and the claims of the Bible. Nope, they're going to use the Bible instead. And they're going to twist what it has to say to fit their sixth narrative or their sixth story. Just realize this. Go into this. You've got to know this. It's all throughout the Bible. When you step out and you do what's right, you can expect opposition. And I want you to understand it's the same old enemy here, or when I, here in our text. <laughs> it's the same enemy in our text as it is today in 2024, He's using the same tactic. We see it all the time. So just remember, I want to encourage you with this. Long before they resisted you and your message, they opposed Paul and his message. Same tactic 2,000 years ago. It works today, unfortunately. And we've seen how the word of the Lord has brought both interest and now opposition. And look with me now at verse 46 through 39 because the word brings salvation. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. By the way, you want to speak boldly, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves, again, this is saying that they made their decision. Unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles verse 47 for so the lord has commanded us saying i have made you a light for the gentiles that you may be, may bring salvation to the ends of the earth and when the gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the lord and as many were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the lord was spreading throughout the whole region so this is an illustration, really, of what Paul would later write when he, when he would write to the Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as people hear God's word, they come to faith. They're saved from their sins. It's the word of God, did you hear me? The word of God that brings salvation. Okay, this is what we're reading about. We read about Gentiles coming to faith in the word of God that was preached to them. This is why Paul in Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So maybe when Paul wrote this to the Romans, he was remembering his experience. Paul and Barnabas didn't take the opposition against them lying down. Okay, if you're being opposed, don't let it stop you. You're going to face you're going to face opposition. Don't take it lying down. Keep proclaiming God's message, right? They didn't take it lying down. No, they boldly addressed it head on. They were not ashamed of the gospel. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. It's powerful. The gospel brings salvation in the lives of those who believe it. But to believe it, they need to hear it. So I love the reaction. Spontaneous joy. Why? Because for years, Gentiles were outside of this promise of God. They were on the outside looking in, and finally, finally, they got what they would hope for and wish for. So now they're being told they're in. <laughs> that, that in Jesus, the promises have come to them. Everything that they have longed for was now theirs, and they were pumped about it. There was unrehearsed joy. It was just spontaneous. It was incredible joy. And I want you to understand this, because there's, there's a verse there, you know, you're looking at that and saying, God appointed people. So I want to talk real quick, I won't be long, but this is the divine side of evangelism, and I think you should be encouraged by it, okay? So God has chosen those who would be His, and sometimes people have a hard time with this. And don't worry, we're getting our podcast ready, where we're going to get a dive into stuff like this a whole lot deeper. Monday through Friday, we'll, we'll ask questions like, what does it mean that God appoints Uh, people for salvation? Does that mean God appoints people for hell? We're going to answer all those questions because I just don't have enough time on a Sunday morning. But let me briefly go over this. So God appointing those that are his. Our responsibility, you need to know this. Our responsibility is to God. Okay, our responsibility is to God. He's pretty clear what we're supposed to do when it comes to salvation. And he said to them, go into all the world and do what? Proclaim. Proclaim to the gospel, to the whole creation. So again, what's he telling us? Go proclaim the gospel to everyone. And again, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the Lord's responsibility. So what's our responsibility? It's to God. He made it very clear. What's God's responsibility in salvation? For the promise is for you, and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay? So I, again, sometimes believers really struggle with this, but this was all in line with God's plan. We read in 48 that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. No, it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. In other words, God had his people there that day. Those who long before had been appointed to eternal life. And when the message of salvation came to them, his people believed. His people believed. Jesus said it this way, my my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus didn't say those who hear my voice are my sheep. He said my sheep hear my voice. That's not the way that salvation works. When the word of the Lord goes out, God's sheep are going to hear his voice and they're going to do what? They're going to believe. This should be really comforting to us. At least it is to me. Some of you say, well, why would you say that, Pastor Justin? Because my responsibility isn't getting people to, to eternal life. That's not my responsibility. That's right. You heard me right. I'm going to take it even further. My responsibility isn't even to get people to believe. It's impossible to persuade people to believe in the word of the Lord. So hear me out. My responsibility is the message. Your responsibility is the message. Our responsibility is to communicate the word of the Lord to others. And here's the best part. If they are God's sheep, if they have been appointed to eternal life, they will believe. And our difficulty in all of this is we don't know who God has appointed. We don't know. So we're God's witnesses to everybody, to everybody all around us. And that's the theme of Acts is calling us to do. To go proclaim God's word to everybody. So we pray for God to open eyes and hearts to believe, but they will never believe if they never hear. So and they're never going to hear if we don't speak. Amen. And again, I love how in our text this morning they are speaking. That's why verse 49 says, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region. And I don't know how large this region was, uh, but it definitely would have included people from the surrounding villages. So I love this because... Even the Great Commission, is the the better translation is as you are going. In other words, everybody's got this call. You are called. You put your faith in Jesus, you are called. God wants you to go out and proclaim the gospel. And as you are going, as you are doing life, as you are doing the everyday things in your job, God wants you to proclaim the gospel. So he's going to give you opportunity to do that. Uh, I I love, I'm going to embarrass Ian Mead, but I, I love it because he is one of the best at intentional evangelism. In fact, he will go to certain places, and he'll go back, back, and back, and back to that certain place. Before I met Ian Mead, I never could do that. I got bored. I could never go to the same hairdresser. I could never go to the same coffee place. I couldn't do that. It was boring. I want to try something different. But now, lately, I've been doing it because I've seen it in his life. He gets this chance to build a relationship, and then he proclaims the gospel. And I want to do that. So I've been doing that. I, I've been getting my hair cut, cut by the same person for over a year. That's unheard of for me. I everybody at Skyline knows me. And every Skyline in the in, in the city of I mean all of it, Greater Cincinnati, they know me on a first name basis. I'm telling you, I'm gonna lead the entire Skyline staff to Jesus. It's my mission. I've been appointed to it. I'm just following and obeying. Okay. The word was spreading, and we can rejoice, but not all were rejoicing. The word brings persecution. Let's look real quick. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So this is just, by the way, a precursor of what's about to happen all throughout the book of Acts. We're gonna see it over and over and over again, all throughout the book of Acts. They are they are going to see persecution. In fact, Acts 14, and I know we're jumping ahead, but yeah, I won't jump ahead. That's probably good that I didn't give him those verses. So it's just a precursor of what's about to happen. But I hate it as much as you. Persecution seems to be a theme in the Bible. And I hate opposition just as much as you. But here it is all throughout the Bible. If you will be bold and you will proclaim the word of the Lord, it's going to bring persecution into your life. I was just in the book of Jeremiah. Don't know why I was reading Jeremiah. I was wanting to be encouraged, how God always stood up for the prophets. And uh, I told my wife, it's really discouraging, because like I said, I was in the book of Jeremiah, and and I was reading about how all kinds of people hated Jeremiah, because he spoke the word of the Lord. And so he was eventually thrown into a cistern in Jeremiah 38, and it was only by God's grace that God brought 30 men to get him out. And I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm like, this is not encouraging. Like, every... Every time the prophets obeyed and spoke the word of God, they ended up in a ditch. They would end up almost killed. The king would put them on a number one hit list. It's like, man, the word of the Lord brings persecution. And in our text today, in the case in Antioch, it was the mo- most important people in the city. In other cases, like Thessalonica, we're gonna see wicked men gathers and they come against Paul. But, but here's, here's the deal. Guess what? God's faithful. God is faithful. Paul later in his life would write to a very young Timothy, and this is what he, what he said to Timothy, and I, I love it. That's not what he said to Timothy. I'll write what he said. He said, <laughs> I'll read what he said. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and I- Iconium and Lystra, Lystra wh- which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, and I'm going to focus on that from them all, not on some, but every single thing that Paul ever went through. He could say this, the Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord rescued me. And I, I guarantee you, when Paul wrote this, he's referring back to this very time he was being persecuted. We'll see this per- persecution over and over. And I want to encourage you with this. Any persecution that you may feel from sharing the word of the Lord with other people, whether it's being mocked, whether it's being made fun of, whether it's being belittled, you remember God is faithful. He's faithful. So when I get discouraged, I just remind myself this I've never been stoned <laughs> yet. <laughs> There's always a first. I've never been stoned, I've never suffered to the point of blood. All right, Justin, I can press on. God's faithful. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. In fact, the promise in 2 Timothy 3:12, in fact, it's the very next verse after what I just read a bu- earlier, is that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you bring the word of God to others, it's going to bring persecution, but I want you to know this. It'll also bring salvation. And God is faithful. So after this persecution, they were driven out of the district. And then we see how Paul and Barnabas responded in verse 51. It says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to I- Iconium. This, this is just a symbolic act. How you don't even want to bring the dirt of the city with you, right? Jesus instructed the same thing in Matthew. We remember this. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. It's a sign to show how the city in their unbelief is even polluting the dirt that they walk on. And, and the action says that they don't, they don't want any part of the people in Antioch and not even the dirt. I remember returning from India when I was 19 years old working for Book of Hope, now One Hope, and I brought my suitcase back and I remember unpacking the clothes and there was all this dirt, dirt from West Bengal, the villages that we had traveled in. And it was like, it was like a trophy to me. But Paul and Barnabas, they didn't want anything to do with it. All right, lastly, here we go. Verse 52, are you, are you ready? The word brings joy. Are you still with me? The word brings joy. There we go. <laughs> and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These are the disciples who were in Antioch. Their leaders were Paul and Barnabas, and they had, they had the ones that brought the gospel to them. Now they are gone And and now these disciples are probably facing the same persecution, the same opposition that Paul and Barnabas faced, but they're filled with joy. How many of you know you can still be filled with joy even when the world around you is crashing? How many of you know you could be Satan's number one hit list, you're number one on his target list, and you can still be filled with the joy in the Holy Spirit? Come on, that's exciting. And here's what I love, and we'll close. I need the worship team up here. They don't believe me that I'm going to close, but I am. I'm done. <laughs> I love remembering the words of Jesus. John 16, 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. <laughs> One of my favorite verses. This, that's the message of Jesus. He's overcome the world. And, and, and even though persecution is gonna come, there's still gonna be peace and joy that comes in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Don't you want that? Listen to me, New Heights Church. I'm telling you, I am not a prophet. But we will not sit back. This church will live on mission. We will not sit back. We will continue to proclaim the word of the Lord. And we understand it will bring opposition and it will bring persecution. But we know how the story ends. And I'm going to pray for this church that as we do that, because I can't do it by myself, I can't do it. That's not how the church operates. It's not just that God fills the pastor and his pastoral staff with the Holy Spirit and equips them to go out. Nope, God equips every single believer. So churches that go out make a difference. Churches that are moving are churches filled with people full of the Holy Spirit who are living on mission. I need you... To live on mission. I'm telling you, I know the power of the Holy Spirit. And I truly believe that God is about to do something big in this church. But that means that some of you are going to experience persecution and opposition. And you need to be filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will know a joy that this world does not know. And it's only through the Holy Spirit and the joy and the peace that you are gonna be able to take the next step. Because there are gonna be days where you wake up and say, I cannot do this. I cannot take one more step. And all God's asking you to do, stop thinking so far down the road. Just think about that next step you have to take. Stop thinking about the critics. Stop thinking about those that are coming after you. Don't worry about that. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and only Jesus. You need to worry about pleasing an audience of one. You take that next step and you let God fill you with his spirit and fill you with joy. And you're going to see the kingdom of God be built here on earth. And you're going to see things done that you, you couldn't do on your own. Amen? Let's give it to God. Father, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. You're a good God. As we close out this service, and again, we're going to close out and worship. Everyone's officially dismissed if they need to go. This is their official dismissal. But we're we're gonna stay here. The worship team's gonna lead us in worship. We wanna give ample opportunity for each person here to process what they've just heard, process it and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives personally and individually. And I pray, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in the next few moments, that your Holy Spirit would literally rain down upon us and fill each of us to the point that we are overflowing. I pray that right now in these next few moments. And I pray for joy, unspeakable joy, because we have experienced the amazing grace of God. And today will be the beginning. So many people's encounter with grace, but may it not be the end. So Lord, even those who are seasoned saints today, I pray that once again, they'd be empowered by the grace of God. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name.